0: All that you are to us, all that you're doing in us, we declare that name Jesus. For you, Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God, you gave your life to break the power of sin over our life, that we might reign over the sin that would endeavor to pull us down and destroy us. You gave us the power to utilize your name in standing against all the strategies of the enemy against our life. So we thank you for giving up your life that we might have life and have it to the overflow. Help us to understand in a greater measure the power of your name, that we truly might run into that place of who you are and what you've done and know that we are safe, that we might know like the psalmist that you're our shield and our buckler, that you're our rock and our fortress, It's in you that we can put our trust, that we dwell with you and we come under the shadow of your wings so that though it comes at us, it comes at our side and 10,000 at our right hand, it does not come near and infiltrate our life. But we find ourselves in you. We're able to ward off the lies and the strategies through your word and utilizing your name that name that is above every other name. So we acknowledge you. We thank you. We're so grateful for the price that you paid. We're so grateful for the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, that you are here in this place to minister to every heart in life. We thank you for doors of utterance. Being opened, help us to speak as we ought to speak. With clarity and accuracy, Lord, help give us ears to hear what you're saying to us even now. We do give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise and thanksgiving for what will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Glory to God. Why don't you look at somebody next to you and say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you can be seated. We're so uh, glad that you are here with us this morning. Welcome. I believe that God's doing a work in the world today. He's doing a, a work uh, in the world through His body, and uh, uh, as we are really uh, uh, approaching and speaking, uh, th- I believe uh, what what the Spirit of God is saying. Certainly, in part, it's a broad spectrum. We live in a period of time and in a world uh, where God can be saying, you know, things that knit together. But in part, he's, I believe He's speaking. I begin to listen to some different things, and in some way, shame form or fashion, we hear that God is really working to build up, to make changes, even to purify his body uh, so that we are ready because he's coming. How many of you believe Jesus is coming again? All right. Some of you don't, but uh, uh, the Bible says he's coming again and he's coming soon and he's coming for a glorious church. Amen. He's not coming down for a broke down church. He's not coming for a poor church. He's not coming, you know, for a church that's in strife and division. He's coming for a glorious church, a church where we understand his life, we understand his presence uh, uh, in us and through us. We understand the corporate unity of a local church body as well as the body of Christ universally. And so, as we do that and as we consider these things, and again, sometimes it's, it's a little bit difficult to consider. When we look at the scripture, he even says that really it's kind of a mystery how we all become one. Uh, he's talking about the church, not just marriage, how, how you take people from different places and different backgrounds and all that and how they become one. He says it's a mystery. So first of all, what we need to know is we're going to have to depend upon the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us concerning the church. All right? It's not just something we can figure out. It's vast and it's large and it expands eternity. Yet, we are part of this eternal plan and this eternal purpose. And so if we get narrow-minded or we get carnally-minded, just the things pertaining to the flesh and the temporary, we'll miss the eternal part. If we only think eternally, then we're going to miss what God has for us today. So it's always moving, it's living, it's growing, it's, it's expansive, it's contractive. It's always, it's always doing something, the body is. It's living out the very eternal life of God, right? And so when we don't have that picture, we don't understand uh, to any measure, we begin to just get focused inwardly. Focusing inwardly creates a very small world that becomes very busy, has anybody felt very busy? <laughs> All right, just a few of you. But our world is talking about how busy everyone is. We're incredibly busy, and certainly part of that busyness is people will say, well, I don't have time to gather together with the church. I'm so busy. But we just have to understand really by physics that really the smaller you get, the less things that you can fit within a container, but even trying to fit a few things into a small container, it gets very crowded. But the things that make an 8-ounce container seem like, oh my gosh, this thing is full. It's busy in there with all that's going on. If all of a sudden you put that in a 32-ounce container, it don't seem so busy. And so God expanding our thinking to realize that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, and not just bigger than ourselves so that we work together, it's not so crowded all the time, but so much bigger than ourselves that it's not even about just our lifetime, but it's eternal in nature. And that would be, help us to understand our part, the eternal part, in his church, Right? And so, again, we can't neglect who we are. As Pastor Tasha said, God, if we were the only ones in the world, God loves us. That's a fact. But there's also a fact you are not the only one in the world. Which means what? You say so? (laughs) Well, then He loves the person next to you just as much. Even if you don't love them just as much as you love yourself, He does. If you don't think God moving in their life is just as important as Him moving in your life, He does. All right. And so we've really entered into this for a number of reasons. I'm going to spend just a, a moment reviewing here, if you'll give me that 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 leeway to review just a little bit, because I believe God's always building something. He's always growing something. And so you know, I could go back and, and listen to something. You know, I was I was listening just or reading some notes about a month or two ago, and. You know, some things came up in my spirit. I'm like, man, that is good, God. That is so good. And I went back to some notes in, uh, you know, the mid-90s. It had kind of the same flavor. Like, well, maybe that's not as new as I thought it was. But he's bringing something and adding a freshness to it. So we think God's changing all the time. He's not He's trying to get some things through to us, and he may get it, but if we lose it, he's going to bring it back. He's going to expound upon it so we understand more and more how this all works together, not just for us now, although it does, but for eternity. How it works for us, but yes, but also for others. Amen. And so he spoke to us in, in the beginning of the year, If you weren't here, that's fine, but as we were praying going into this year, I got a scripture that dropped in my heart. Many people have had this at different times. We never at New Creation Church here in Glenwood have had this particular scripture given to us for a year, and so it's Psalm 65. It says, you crown the year with your goodness, and your paths overflow with abundance. So there's something about this year. That the goodness of God, you say, well, you know, I've had some trouble this year, and you look out at the world and supply chain and all the stuff that's going on this year, how can you say he crowns it with his goodness? Listen, you're going to have a whole lot of things going on. He says, I am over all this, and over all of this that doesn't look good, I have my goodness. And you may be looking at the paths of the world, and they look rough, but my paths drip with abundance, Drip right? with abundance. And so there's a lot that goes on. And when we walk with him and we walk in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, then his cup runs over with goodness and mercy. Right? He's just, he, he's a God of abundance. You know, we might want to say, well, he, he's not. Well, he's not just reserving stuff in heaven just for the sake of having stuff. He's got, he's got more than enough. He's the God. His very nature is more than enough. And so sometimes we just look and say, well, I don't have more than enough. But he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overshadow. I'm going to crown this year with my goodness. So things might be happening, but if you, well, some things have happened. Are you still here? Right? So God's good. Am I still reading my Bible? Yeah, oh, God's good. God's still answering prayer. So even in the midst of difficult times, he overshadows or he crowns, puts on top his goodness, atop of our lives. And then we walk in his paths and they are full of abundance. He goes on to say things about flocks and herds and fields, which just means his people, flocks and herds, and fields are harvest. So he says, when we understand the year is crowned with his goodness. We understand that his paths drip with abundance, and so we are walking as king's kids, crowned by him, walking in his abundance of goodness, then we see that his people, there's going to be a gathering of his people, and there's also going to be a harvest that is being brought in, right? And so we're the harvesters as well as the the, the flocks that come in, and so even though it crosses over, we see that God has a plan for this year. He has a plan for change in this year. A couple months ago, if you were with us, just in in a time where I believe the Spirit of God was speaking to us, he actually had brought the thought to Pastor Tasha in, in a conversation we had with people, but she brought up and she shared with us as a church, this time next year. This time next year. And so God is even doing something this year that things will be different in a year to come. Now listen, it's not magic because he says this time next year, but he says if we stay on the path, we listen to what God is saying, we participate in what he's doing this time next year, yeah. right? And you can see a lot of things. How many of you, 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 if you think about it, you think what happened in 2020, you never imagined how quickly something like that could come on and change our life. Anybody? A few of you. Some of you imagined it happened in an instant. I mean, a little class participation time. <laughs> Most people I talk to say, can you believe? I mean, we never would have imagined going through the, 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 the history of our nation and our lifetime in that in that quickly everything could change. And yet if we're not careful as the body of Christ, we'll go, oh, look at the world. Now listen, they've been preparing, the enemy and the people who listen to him have been preparing for this, So that when this happened, they moved quickly. God doesn't want us to think, well, how did that happen so quickly? He wants to say, you see what the enemy can do that quick? Don't for one second think that I can't turn things around that fast. He said, I'm preparing a people right now that if they will listen to me and obey me, it may seem like time is going by, but in a moment's time, there can be a suddenly, like on the day of Pentecost, and things start to change in a moment's time. So he's preparing us to understand some things and to view some things, maybe as we have in the past, maybe not, but to view them for some things that he wants to do right now right now. Somebody say right now. now. So if we wait till things are happening, it always takes longer. If we participate in some things, we get ready. And the more that participate, the more it builds until it seems like it was instant, but it wasn't instant. It was suddenly, right? Have you ever boiled eggs? Man, to tell you, like they say, a watch pot never seems to boil. I was boiling eggs just a few weeks ago, and uh, I'm just I'm am I'm, I'm asking Pastor Tasha like, well I just asked Tasha she's not my pastor really I don't I don't refer to I don't refer to her at home as Pastor Tasha, um, but <laughs> I said Tasha how long does it take for these eggs to boil? And she said well whatever you know she didn't give me exact time but you know sitting there watching and watching and watching but man all of a sudden that thing just started to boil. Well, it was preparing. It was getting hot enough. But man, when it started to boil, there was all kinds of activity in the water. And sometimes we're sitting there and we get uncomfortable because it's getting hotter. And God's dealing with me about some things. And I'm trying to stay the same. But pretty soon, God starts working in his body. Stuff starts happening. And we think, wow, that happened instantly. No, it happened suddenly. Something was preparing until preparing until. God is preparing us until, and then suddenly, suddenly. So as we look at this, uh, again, he, he, this scripture, the, the 65th Psalm, then uh, 133rd Psalm, he said, how good and behold, in other words, stop and think about it for a moment. More than that, don't just stop and think about it. Gaze at it. Take it in. Behold, how good and pleasant it is, when brethren dwell together in unity then he goes on to say what it's like it's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garment it is like the dew of hermon descending upon the mountains of zion for there the lord commanded the blessing life forevermore he said listen it's a really a good and a pleasant thing when we dwell together in unity. The anointing begins to come upon the body when we dwell together in unity. Well, I can get this out there by myself. No, you really can't. It comes upon the body. Well, I've been somewhere by myself. God moves and I feel the anointing, but he's, he's coming upon the body and it's coming down from the head over the body. That there's an anointing that begins to come over the whole body from head to toe. He said, this is good, and this is a place where the unity of the body is together, the unity of the people of God is together, where God commands blessing. He commands the blessing of life forever. Right? It's in that place that we realize that we are the body of Christ, the very life of God forever and eternity will be flowing through his body of which we are a part. Amen. And so, uh, again, we, we got those scriptures at the beginning of the year. And so we've been teaching on things that would build and, and uh, uh, you know, different series. And we came upon this. I really, we started, Pastor Tosh and I started talking about what we were praying about. felt like uh, our teaching on the body would be important. One of the reasons is because things that have gone before, prophecies have gone before, not just about our church, but about the last days. And there's a number of them that allude in some way, shape, or form to the church. Right? In the 1960s, Tommy Hicks had a, had a, a vision of the Latter-day Church, or, or a church where it rises, the church rises and spreads out over the whole world. Others said that in the last days, that the last great day revival would be a revival uh, where it was in the local church, local churches that knew the Word of God, knew how to flow with the Spirit of God, Right? So if, if it's going to happen in the church, if the last day's revival isn't going to happen in a stadium, it's not going to happen uh, you know, down at the uh, ball arena, it's not going to happen in a big tent somewhere, it's going to happen in the local church then it stands to reason that we should see the purpose of the local church. We should begin to see, really, the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we should begin to see the church as Jesus sees it. Now, again, it's such a broad thing. It's such a big thing. We're just going to try to bring some insight that we start praying, and we start asking God that we might see it more clearly. And you say, for what reason? And so we've gone through this. uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul is telling the Corinthian church about taking communion, how they came together, their love feast, the combination of these people started with love and they would take communion together and then it started to go backwards and fragment. And so he says this to them He says, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body other translations not says not discerning those who are of the Lord's body so again you may say well no wait a minute he's just talking about taking communion you have to read it in context paul is correcting them for coming together to have communion. He said you used to come together in your love feast which means the, the slave and, and the master and the Jew and the Greek, no matter where you came from, you all learned that in Christ you're together and you fellowshiped and you ate together and you communed together as the body. But now you began to let your differences divide you and now the rich come in first and get the best of things and you leave it to the poor. That's how the world does it. You're not discerning what I did for you, yet you're still partaking of communion. He said, for this reason, many are weak and sickly and some even sleep because you didn't have the proper discernment or the proper picture of the body. So he said, when you break the bread, my physical body on the earth was broken and it was broken for you. Yes, it was broken for you and I individually. Why was it broken for us? So that we might receive healing and wholeness in our body. But his body, physical body, was also broken for his body. So even when we take communion, we lose sight that what he did for me, he also did for you and others. I'm just trying to get something for me. He said... Boy, that that lack of discernment is going to affect how you receive. So he said, yes, the blood was shed so that you individually could enter into covenant, but that my body would be in covenant with me. So again, we're in this movement that it's alive and it pertains to us, but it pertains to others, and it comes and it goes and it moves in the body right? And so from that perspective, we wanted to have that perspective. So we we talked about this, you know, what is the perspective of this in the world's perspective? The world starts to see the church as weak, unnecessary, unessential, uh, irrelevant, you know, within the community, within the greater community. Is that how God sees the church? No, God doesn't see the church in that way. He sees the church as infinitely valuable, right? He sees it as precious. He sees it as glorious. So if he sees his church as a glorious church, you may look and say, well, it ain't looking that glorious to me right now. But Jesus sees differently than we do. Now, do you want to see how you see, or do you want to see how Jesus sees? So Jesus sees the church as valuable. He sees the church. You're thinking, how in God's name could he see this tag bunch of people as valuable because he sees differently than you do? How can he see this as glorious because he sees different than you do? He sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And he knows that the enemy is trying to work against the local church and his body to see something different to be discouraged, to be disappointed in how things are working. But he doesn't see it that way. He sees it with great faith that, that he's going to share with us the Spirit of God, and we're going to come together and begin to see it differently. We're going to see it as he does. We're going to see the church as valuable and precious. We're going to see the church as glorious. I hope, I don't know, but I hope that you'll begin to see and begin to cultivate in your heart that one of the greatest privileges in your lifetime is to be a member of his church. And if you don't, the enemy's working on you because he sees you being a member of his body as something that is greater than anything in your life. He shed his blood to immerse you in his body. Come on. Well, I'm not sure I think that way. That's why we have to be careful of how we view it. Right, so Jesus, how does Jesus view his church? We saw that two ways. Matthew chapter 16. He said uh, the revelation or the reality that comes to the heart of a person that I'm the Christ, the Son of the Living God. In that reality, he enters into and confession of that, he enters into a relationship with me, and 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 he'll build his church upon that, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know he's talking about the universal church. He's talking about everyone who embraces that reality, believes it from every age and in every place, universal church. He's not talking about the local church because many local churches, the gates of hell have prevailed. They've closed their doors because of strife and division. But in this, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. And in Revelation, we see that this great congregation from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation, every generation that believed him will gather together around the throne and around the Lamb forever and ever and ever. Woo! Come on. Jesus says, man, there's something going on. And it's eternal. So why do I need to know that? Because there's hope instilled in that. That I'm a part of something eternal. And I'm going to stand before Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a great gathering together. And I'm linked eternally. I'm linked with Moses. I'm linked with Elijah. I'm linked with Daniel. I'm linked because we're the church. We're the family of God from time past to time present. And we're all going to get together because we're all of one church. And there will be a great gathering. There will be a great church, which means gathering of these who have seen the reality that he is Lord. Then Matthew chapter 18, he's talking about fellow believers, believers getting together, having day-to-day struggles and how we resolve a day-to-day struggle. We go to them personally. We don't put our dispute on Facebook. Thinking it's not important. He said, when you understand the body as it is, a brother who's wronged you, you don't want to let everybody know. You want to talk to them and you want to confront them. And if they won't hear it because they're there, you want to bring two or three other people who love them. We're seeking restoration. And he says, and if they won't listen there, you bring them before the church. The only other time Jesus talks about the church, he's talking about a local congregation of believers. A local gathering together. Like we said, you know, he's not referring, maybe Paul was referring to some things, Ecclesia, but Jesus was always looking at the the, the Old Testament, how he brought it to this place. And he said, back when Moses got together, God says to Moses, you've come out of sin, you've brought the people out, now let's have church. It's important to God. You say, I don't remember anywhere he said that. He said, gather my people together together that word gather is a, a Hebrew word kahal and when you translate that Hebrew word kahal to Greek it's ecclesia and ecclesia translated in English is church so God says in that that word gather whenever we gather it's church right so you on the mountain by yourself really aren't having church you're having fellowship. So when we define church, it's the gathering together. And what did he say right there? He said, gather them. For what purpose do we gather? So that they might hear my word. They might hear my word. First of all, that they might worship me. He's, he, told, he told Pharaoh, let my people go that they might worship me in the wilderness. They might serve me in the wilderness. And so he says, I'm going to gather them together to worship me. How is that going to take place? They're going to hear my word. They're going to learn to reverence me. Right, the body of Christ Uh, has lost a reverence for God. And really, what God's doing many times in the church, that they might learn to live by the authority of my word and teach their children to do the same. The church, that's how Jesus sees the church, universally, the local church. So the local church is connected. with What am I? How am I? Well, it's not just you. Again, when we look at it, God did something in your life to affect your family Your family affects the church, the local body of believers. The local body of believers, as we even see, it affects regionally with the churches that we have intricate, connected relationship within our region. It stretches out into the world. Missions, we're connected in so many different ways with something that's eternal and farther reaching into the world. But it starts individually, but not just individually, but how does my individual life affect my day-to-day life with my family, which affects the corporate anointing and gathering of the church, which then begins to affect beyond and beyond, right? So he sees the universal church as valuable and glorious, right? He sees the local church as valuable and glorious. He sees you as valuable and glorious. If that's how Jesus sees things, that's how we should see things. So we talked about last week, So the world comes in. We think we're not conformed to the world, but the world gives us all these ideas. And so if we're not careful, we get this vision or this thought of the church that it is just simply a gas station. That when I'm feeling a little empty spiritually, I'm feeling a little down spiritually, I come and I get a little bit filled up. Right? Or it, it views it as a movie theater. I feel like when I go to church, I should come out feeling a lot better, more entertained than when I went in. Just a time to get out of the world and feel just a little bit better. Now, again, there's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying you should come in and feel cruddy, but it's just an overall world kind of uh, natural view of, of, of a gathering together. We're not just simply a social group to feel better. There's things going on supernatural and eternal that are taking place, and sometimes that's ominous. That doesn't, doesn't feel as great a, a, as maybe just going to uh, get entertainment. Or we see it as a drugstore, somewhere just to alleviate, if they could come up with something to alleviate my, my pain for just a little bit. Or, or uh, you know... Um, big box store where I can get everything all in a one-stop shop and the people are nice and kind and efficient. So when I come in on Sunday morning, I feel like I've packed my my cart full and I'm out of here. And thank you, you know, for coming. But that's not how God views the church. So we went to Ephesians 1 where it said, how does he view the church? He views the church as Jesus Christ being the head, and we are his body. Now, there's a big difference between a box store and a body. All those other analogies, those pictures, you won't find in the Bible, but you will find the analogy of the Bible. You will find the analogy of a building, of a bride. Body is very important. So turn with me for a moment, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 4. I know we spent some time on that, but I was encouraged when I was thinking, well, we might need to go back. Peter said, as long as, you are in, as, long as I'm in this tent, uh, I'm going to remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are established in them, I feel like I'm not going to be here forever. So there's some important things that we remind each other of. Furthermore, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not just having heard, but hearing what God is saying. Amen. So, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, we're going to start in verse 12. Now, right prior to this, He says that Jesus himself gave gifts unto men. We call these many times ministry gifts or ministry offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We're not going to go into that today. Again, I've I've really been trying to study and look at a number of different writers concerning this because there's so many different opinions of what this looks like that uh, until I study this out a little further... um, because I think it could could end up, I hope it doesn't, uh, because it's the word of God, be a little controversial. People have given different pictures uh, than what they were looking at in this time. Uh, But suffice to say, if we can do it this way, that Jesus saw it to be um, uh, necessary to put revelation, uh, authority, grace, a, a grace to lead upon those who would oversee his church. Okay. Those who would oversee his church. Now this leadership is, is pretty important no matter how you look at these five distinct ones that somewhere in the local church there is an authority. there is a, a someone graced by God. So I was just thinking about this the other day uh, you know somebody came to me one one time I mean there's a number of different stories came one time and they made an appointment they came in and they said, I was praying and this is what I believe God showed me to do. So they went to James and they said, God showed me this in James, that I'm supposed to come to you, my pastor. It says, come to the elders of the church. And I'm supposed to confess my fault to you. And after I do, you're going to pray with me, and you're going to anoint me with oil, and I'm going to be well. I'm like, this is pretty fantastic, because to this level of conviction, nobody's ever come to me like that before. People have used that one to be anointed, whatever, but they weren't ready to sit down and say, here's where I messed up. And certainly, there's a number of reasons why people don't want to do that. I'm not stressing that. But they with a pure heart came. And it was amazing what God did in, in those moments as they, they poured that out. You know, I wasn't shocked or anything. God just, get, you know, when you, you have a gift, God just gives you grace to hear and to listen and to follow through. I knew they were pouring out stuff that was difficult to them. History, some, some, some things that were very difficult for them. So we got done. And we prayed. We prayed the prayer of faith. I anointed them with oil and they were wow and then so then they came back and you know they came back a couple of days later and said i'm better i'm better well about three months later they uh, they made another appointment and they came in and they said i was talking to somebody i told them what happened and they said well you got to be careful that can't possibly do it there's something from your past that's spiritual that pro- I, I believe still has a hold on you then we need to deal with that spiritual thing. She said, so I let them pray for me, and ever since that, that all came back. So I'm coming back to you if you'll pray with me. And we didn't have to go through all that again. We just prayed. We just, she just said, I'm sorry that I did that. This is what God told me to do, and this is what I did. See, sometimes we have people trying to find a place of leadership and, and, and ministry that usurps what God is doing. And so, you know, we'll get into this a little bit. Certainly, there's different giftings and graces we want you to operate in, but you have to be careful sometimes when God's instructing somebody away, and you're like, wait a minute, I got something better. Right? So the body, just like in another body, you get things in the body, and they may work all right somewhere, but then they don't work in another place. It obstructs the body. So again, just leadership in the body, how we view it is very important. It's very important to us as a local church body and how it expands out. So just to say that. So what's the leadership there for? The leadership is therefore the equipping of the saints of which you are. You are. You are the saints of God. If you came from from a background that says, I can't possibly be a saint, they have to confirm miracles that I've done. No, it's the miracle that's been done for you that made you a saint, not the miracles you did. Right, Jesus calls you a saint. Right. So he said the leadership is to equip the saints for this translation says work of ministry. But we could really break it down if we we broke down the words in the translation. It says that the leaders are to equip the saints, the people of God, for the work of serving. Thank you for your enthusiasm. For the work of serving. So when we understand this, just, just give me a second, so when we get born again, when we decide that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, he's my Savior, and so I make him Lord, Master. I realize he came to save my life, but I don't just say thanks for saving my life, because you came to save my life, I make you the Master of my life and my future. He said, "When you do that, the old man that was bound under sin gets washed away, gets removed, and a new man emerges and is reconciled to God. And the minute that that happens, you are given to serve another, the knowledge of that reconciliation." You say what? 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Any man that be in Christ is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, everything has become new, and now everything is of God, who has reconciled us to himself and has given to us a ministry of reconciliation. Ministry, a a service to tell people that they can be reconciled to God. A lot of people are like, I'm a Christian, I just want to know what my ministry is. Well, first of all, to understand it's serving others. And the first thing is to tell people like, Wow, I just need to serve you in this. I need to tell you that Jesus died for your sin so you could know him personally. I don't really like that. Tell me how I can become an apostle. I am. If you feel like you have an apostolic call, you better start with the ministry of reconciliation. And then, secondly, we understand that we become part of the body of Christ, we have that ministry. And then we see this, that we get equipped to serve, to serve the body, to serve within the body, right? It says right here that we're equipped for the work of ministry and that serving is for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the edifying of the body of Christ, So we understand that we are the body of Christ, that we are members individually of something greater. God's working with us. And so whether it's a local church body or whether it's us individually, right, how the church works and how individual members, as we said, Jesus is the head of the body and the head gets done what it wants to get done through the body. And so when the body starts to understand that we're functioning together, we're serving one another, we're not getting... Uh, high-minded about it. We're looking at how we serve one another. So I use this example for service. I I don't know if it went over very good or not, Um, but I got a new pair of shoes uh, just a few weeks ago. And so when I was putting those shoes on, uh, it just struck me, you know, I was tying those shoes. And something that struck me and what I'm thinking about and ministering to you about is, you know, I realized my hands didn't all of a sudden start talking to the rest of my body. My hands didn't start going, These feet, they got a new pair of shoes. They're always getting something, new shoes, new socks. I wish I got some new shoes and new socks. No, they didn't actually say anything. My head, through my nervous system, wanted to tie my shoes for the good of my body, and my hands just tied the shoes. And my feet didn't say... Ha, 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 you all should get shoes like us. (laughs) See, sometimes we go somewhere and say, we should be more like them. Wait a minute, they're a section of the body doing what they're doing, and we're doing what we're doing. If we become them, we don't be us. It's very easy to do because they look like they have nice shoes, but if I got those nice shoes, my hands wouldn't look like hands, they would look like feet. With shoes on, my hands would have trouble doing what they're supposed to do because they got shoes on. So how do we serve the body? So there's things on the inside of each of us that we begin to grow. The Bible here is talking about, and we'll have to wrap it up and pick up next week, but when it talks about serving the body, he's talking about in this process of serving the body and us coming into the unity of the faith, we start maturing As believers, we don't just start maturing because we go outside somewhere and see something miraculous happen. Thank God for that. I'm not diminishing that at all. But sustaining that is maturing past the fact, wow, I had a great miracle, but then on Sunday, somebody at church looks at you wrong and you're offended. Thank God for the miracle, but it starts to get undone because we haven't learned to walk in love. So, so we start to serve the body. He goes on to just say this. I want to leave this with you, and then we'll pick up next week. He says, so that we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we get born again. He puts leaders. We come under a leader in the body. They begin to equip us to serve one another, to edify one another, to build one another up. Right. In, in doing that, in, in bringing the word, as Moses said, sitting under the word, we're listening to how we develop in Christ and we serve one another with those developmental things. We, when we feel like we're at odds with somebody, we take authority by the word of God over our life, over the strategy of the enemy to get us into strife or to break us down. And we don't just deny offense, we attack offense with the truth. A lot of Christians are like, I'm not offended, but they're offended. Well, should I tell everybody I'm offended? No. You go before God and say, God, I picked up an offense. And I don't want you to pick up an offense against me. So I'm forgiving. Right. Are you all with me? Come on. So we serve one another for that reason. We're going to run into stuff with each other. But we all are part of the same one. We, we, what do we have in common? He's the head. He's the head. Life comes from the head. Signals are coming from the head. So we grow. We we edify. We build each other up so we can come to a unity of faith. I'm just going to put it in this place because we we think of faith as like I got the right, I'm, I'm studying the word. I have a right confession. I have a right thing. But really when we come to faith, the full span of faith is I start out hearing the word. I believe the word. I begin to speak the word. But a full encompassment of a life of faith is doing the word of God. And so 1 John chapter 5 says, This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. In Malachi, in Romans, in Hebrews, says the just, those who've been justified by the blood of Jesus, live by faith. I want to just put this note in here for you as we think about this. So the just shall live by faith, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. And so we put it in that little thing I believe. But I want to create the span of that in, in the fact that we're being equipped to grow into one body, a local church body connected to others in the universal body, right? In that invisible whole, we're that part. And so he says, the just uh, uh, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our lifestyle of faith. Even our lifestyle of faith. The just shall live a lifestyle of faith. Or we could say it like this, our faithful lifestyle. Wait a minute, faithful just means then you're telling me I have to be there. No, faith means full of faith. Faithful means full of faith. And so when you're full of faith, there's a loyalty that takes place. Because I believe this is what God's doing with me, and I stay with it. And so what is that lifestyle of faith? Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16, it says, If we live in the Spirit, we'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. He goes on to say some things there, but he gets through how the flesh, the old man used to live, adultery, fornication, variance, uh, lasciviousness, outbursts of wrath, drunkenness, all those things. Uh, and then he comes and he says, this is the produce of the Holy Spirit in the human spirit. So how many of you believe when you got born again, you entered into a newness of life? Right? You say, some of you, some of you don't. Well, praise the Lord. Um But if you believe that you are in a newness of life, what does that new life look like? Well, he explains to us what the new life looks like. It is a life full of love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, faithfulness, right? That's the new life. That's the produce of the Spirit, So he says, if we're going to overcome this world or the old man, we are going to have to be faithful to develop this lifestyle. And we come into a unity of this lifestyle, love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, kindness, self-control faithfulness, when we all are developing that, we come to the unity of that knowledge of the Son of God creating a new kind of life and a new quality of life, and it fits together. The body begins to strengthen and grow against any onslaught of the enemy, any deception, any selfishness, any hatred, any offense is guarded by our lifestyle of faithfulness. As we serve one another. So you're like, I, I want to just know how to minister to people. Walk in love. I know I'm supposed to walk in love. I want to know something big. That's big. Yeah, but I'm tired of trying to walk in love. I want a miracle. You walking in love would be a miracle. <laughs> Come on, that was a word for somebody in particular. Not all of you. Sorry. that Right there was your opportunity to not be offended with me. Come on, some of you know that if I just had peace through a situation, that would be like miraculous. If I just had joy in moments, that would be like miraculous. If I, I, if I really just had kindness towards this person, that would be miraculous. There's something supernatural and miraculous going on in the development of our newness of life. And when it comes together, there's going to be outward miraculous things take place. God's setting us up and equipping us for that. But with so much division and dissension, even in local church bodies, understand this, that a dissension in a local church body affects the universal church. Well, it won't matter. Sure it does, because you're a part of, we are a part of something bigger. You say, well, it's so big, my part won't matter. Paul addressed that in 1 Corinthians, we'll get to that. All right, I'm just going to read this real quick, and then we'll close. I would ask you how many of you would give me five minutes, but I'm not going to take that long. All right. This is from the book Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And this hopefully just kind of encompasses this little portion of Scripture that we shared with you. He says, when Jesus described the Christian life, often his invitation to it sounded more like a warning than a sales pitch. He spoke of counting the cost, of selling all, taking up a cross to follow him. While that attitude used to puzzle me greatly, I now believe he was simply underscoring the need for loyalty, which in biological terms means the need for individual cells to offer up service for the whole body. Sometimes following the head may involve a sort of self-denial, including some pain, But I have learned through the rare instances, like my experience with Sidon, which is a a leper that he really fixed his foot in his ability to walk, uh, that service also opens up levels. Listen to this. That service also opens up levels of fulfillment far exceeding any others I have encountered. We are called to self-denial not for its own sake, but for the compensation we can obtain in no other way. Our culture exalts self-fulfillment, self-discovery, and autonomy. But according to Christ, it is only in losing myself that I will find it. Only by committing myself as a living sacrifice to the larger body through loyalty to him will I find my true reason for being. We cling to a self-serving feeling of martyrdom about such a life of service. Well, I've given everything. In actual fact, we are called to deny ourselves in order to open up to a more und- uh, to open up to a more abundant life. In the exchange, the advantage clearly rests on our side. Crusty selfishness peels away to reveal the love of God expressed through our own hands which in turn reshapes us into his image. To refuse to deny oneself, said Henry Drummond, is just to be left with self undenied. It's powerful how when we have faith in God, we allow him, we trust him to work in us a lifestyle, a lifestyle of that faith we believe he died to give us a newness of life, we trust and believe there is a new kind of life to be lived. And through that, how do we learn if we're living in that new life of love and joy and peace? We begin to serve one another. And if serving one another starts to upset us, we begin to ask him to help us so that not just us but others can mature in the understanding of the new life so that we reflect a body to those outside that see actually Jesus, not just a social gathering of people. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're ministering to us concerning your body in this way. Show us what you want us to see. Bring that spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, for we can't know you without knowing your body. Expressing to us the glories and the riches and the power that come in your body. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us, leading us, guiding us, and anointing us. Now, with every every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you say, I've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life, just come in today and was looking for something. I didn't know what it was, but I know it's Jesus. I'm looking for that life. If you're here today, just as we said there in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, our first service to you is to let you know that you can be reconciled to God, that Jesus paid the price for your life, and that when you make him the Lord of your life, when you say, come into my heart, I thank you for dying to save my life from sin and eternal Uh, a corruption apart from you. Thank you for saving my life. Now I want to turn my life over to you and have you be the master of my life, the Lord of my life. So my service to you is, as it says there, to just plead with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, I don't know everybody in this room. Many of you I do know. I know that you have said, Jesus, come and be the Lord of my life. But if you have never done that, today is the day of salvation. Today is a time where the perspective of life and who you are, what God has planned for you, not your mistakes, not your shortcomings, but a future with him, a hope with him, forgiven, washed, and cleansed. That there was an old man that used to live the way that the enemy desired and dictated by the course of this world, but there's a new man that bring, comes forth at that confession of him as Lord, that has a brand new future and a brand new hope for life. If you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to pray with you. He'll come into your heart. He'll be the Lord of your life. He'll wash your sin away and give you a brand new start of life with him. Anybody at all, you'd raise your hand and say, that's me today. With nobody looking around, just say, that's me. I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. I want to enter into this body of Christ and the support that comes from it, the strength, development that comes from it. Anybody at all? I want to take just a moment. I don't want to leave without giving you that opportunity. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Well, y'all can look up here. In Jesus' name. Well, let's just pray all this. Let's just pray together. Perchance, someone, God's dealing with their heart. Just say this after me. Say, Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And this morning, I'm ready to lay my life down and to pick up the life that you've given me. I believe that you came to the earth as a man. You died on the cross. You were buried. God raised you from the dead so that I could be forgiven my sins and enter into a relationship with you. So this morning, I call you Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, the Bible says that your sin is passed away and forgiven and that Jesus has come into your heart and made you a new creation. There'll be altar workers up here to give you three mini books to help you along your way. If you prayed that prayer at all, uh, it'll just help give you a boost moving forward. Why don't you stand up with me? Says we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds. Any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.